Section 7 of The Meadow Sprite and Other Tales of Modern Germany. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Richard Agar. The Meadow Sprite and Other Tales of Modern Germany. The Wishing Ring by Richard von Volkmann. Translated by Gertrude R. Schottenfels. The Wishing Ring A young man, who had formerly been unprosperous as an innkeeper, and was now a farmer, sat upon his plough one day, and rested for a moment while he wiped the sweat from his brow. An old witch happened to pass by, and asked, Why do you work so hard when it avails you not? Journey straight ahead for two days until you reach a pine tree in the forest, which stands apart by itself and towers above every other tree around. Cut it down, and your fortune will be made. The farmer needed no second bidding, but straightway shouldered his axe and started on his quest. And exactly two days later, he came upon the tree. He hastened to fell it, and no sooner had it crashed to the ground than from its topmost boughs there fell a nest. Two eggs rolled out of the nest and broke upon the ground, and as they broke, a young eagle emerged from one, while from the other fell a ring of gold. The eagle grew before his very eyes, until it attained one half the height of an ordinary man. Then it spread its wings, as though it were anxious to try them, soared a little distance from the ground, and cried, You have given me my freedom. Take the ring, which was in the other egg, as a token of my thanks. It is a wishing ring. If you turn it round your finger and make a wish, your wish will be immediately fulfilled. But remember, there is only one wish in the ring. Therefore, consider well before you wish, that you may have no regrets later on. Thereupon, the eagle soared high in the air, circled slowly above the farmer's head, and then winged its way straight as an arrow toward the east. The man took the ring, put it on his finger, and hastened homeward. Toward evening he reached a little town, where he chanced to see a goldsmith standing in front of his shop. Many costly rings were on sale. The farmer showed his ring, and asked what it was worth. A fig, replied the goldsmith. At that the farmer laughed loud and merrily, and assured him it was a wishing ring, and worth more than all the rings together which he had on sale. Now the goldsmith was a base deceiver, and as tricky as he was deceitful. So he invited the farmer to stay overnight with him, saying, To entertain a man like you, with such a gem in his possession, is sure to bring one good luck. He entertained him with his choicest wines and smoothest words, and put him to bed in his best chamber. But, in the dead of night, while the farmer lay sunk in sleep, the goldsmith stole softly into his room, and carefully removed the wishing ring from his finger. Then, just as carefully, he replaced it with an ordinary ring, which to all outward appearances was identical with the one he stole. The next day he could scarcely wait for the farmer to take his departure. He woke him very early, saying, You have a long journey ahead of you, so it will be to your advantage to get an early start. As soon as he had gone, the jeweller locked his shop, hastened into his own room, where no prying eyes might see him, and locked and bolted the door. Then he stood in the centre of the room, turned the ring round on his finger, and cried, I want a hundred thousand dollars, immediately. 
Scarcely had the words left his lips ere it began to rain silver dollars. Down they poured, hard and shining, like water in a trough. They struck his head, his breast, and shoulders. He began to shriek with pain and sprang to the door to escape, but before he could reach it, he was felled to the ground and lay there faint and bleeding. And still the dollars came, like a veritable silver hailstorm, until the floor collapsed beneath the strain. It caved in, and the poor goldsmith, with all his wealth, fell into the dark cellar. And still the dollars continued to fall upon his lifeless form, until a hundred thousand had descended. The neighbours heard the noise and came running thither, and when they beheld the goldsmith lying dead beneath all those hard shining dollars, they said, Verily, it is a great misfortune to have too much money fall to one's lot. Then came the jeweller's heirs, who divided it all up among themselves, and so, in the end, it had availed him naught. Meanwhile, the farmer proceeded on his way home, with a heart full of rejoicing. He showed the ring to his wife, and said, This time it cannot fail. Our fortune is made. But we will think it all over carefully, ere we decide upon our wish. His wife was ready with her advice. Suppose we wish for that triangular piece of land adjoining ours. We have always wanted it. It's not worth while, returned her husband. If we have a little patience and work diligently... We can soon save enough to buy those acres. So they worked most industriously for a year, and never before had they had such a plentiful harvest. They were not only able to buy the coveted piece of land, but they even had a little money left over. See, said the man with great joy, we not only have the land we wished, but our wish itself is intact. Yes, indeed, replied his wife, and a good thing it is, for now we can buy a horse and cow. But he only jingled the money in his pockets and asked, Why should we waste our precious wish on such beggarly trifles? We need only work hard a little longer and we can soon earn our horse and cow. And sure enough, at the end of the second year, both horse and cow stood in their stalls. Then the man rubbed his hands together in content and said, Well, our wish is spared for another year and we have everything for which we longed. Haven't we had the most wonderful good luck? but his wife begged him earnestly to make up his mind what he wanted, and to wish for it. He steadfastly refused to waste his wish, when they could so easily earn what they needed. At length she became angry, and exclaimed, I hardly recognise you nowadays. Formerly you did nothing but grumble, and pity yourself, and wish for everything under the sun. Now, when it really is in your power to have anything you please, you hem and haw and make excuses, and are content with everything that come along. Why, you are letting our best years slip by. You might be a count, a king, or even an emperor, with his coffers filled with gold. But no, you can't make up your mind what to choose. Oh, stop your everlasting urging and nagging, rejoined her husband. We are both still young, and life is long. Remember, there is but one wish in the ring, and that is soon used up. The time may come when we shall be really hard-pressed, and how handy the wish will be then. What ails you, anyway? What do you want? Haven't we everything we could possibly need? Since I got the ring, haven't we prospered so that everyone is marvelling at our good fortune? Do be reasonable. In the meantime, you can be considering what we would better wish for. And that was the end of their dispute. It really did seem as though the ring had brought a blessing with it, and in the course of time, the little farm became a very large one, upon whose many acres many servants were employed. And the farmer, 
despite all his wealth and prosperity, continued to work as hard as ever from sheer force of habit. But in the evening, when he had finished his supper, he would sit on his doorstep in the failing twilight, smoking his pipe contentedly and wishing his neighbours good evening. Thus many years sped by. Occasionally, when they were all by themselves, with no one near to overhear them, she would make him all sorts of propositions concerning the wish. But he always replied that they had ample time left, and as time went on, they spoke of it less and less frequently, and finally ceased to mention it at all. Not that they had forgotten it, far from it, for a dozen times a day he would turn it round on his finger, as though about to make a wish, but he always carefully guarded his lips from speaking it aloud. Thirty years slipped by, then forty. The farmer and his wife were old and grey, and still the wish remained unuttered. Then the gracious All-Father blessed them both, and summoned them both to their final reward in the selfsame night. Children and grandchildren wept around their beer, and refused to be comforted. One of them started to remove the ring from the old man's finger, with the intention of preserving it as a treasured keepsake, but the eldest son interfered, saying, Leave it where it is. He kept its history a secret all his life long. Let him carry it with him into the grave. It is probably an old love token. Our blessed mother also often looked at it, as though she too knew its secret. If the truth were known, she probably gave it to him herself when they were young. So the wishing ring, which in reality was no wishing ring, was buried with him, and he never knew the truth. It certainly had brought them all the happiness and good fortune one could desire, and the original ring could have done no more. So you see, dear children, that it all depends upon who holds possession of a thing, for even the best of things in evil hands may prove a curse rather than a blessing. End of section 7